Hi, I'm Lawrence. And I'm Karen Tam, and we are the co-hosts of Inside the Champion's Mind. I'm super excited. Are we going shopping? No, not really. We're going to be in Melbourne, though. For shopping? No, we're not going to be shopping. We're going to be at the Wellness Summit, September 10th and 11th at the Melbourne Convention Center. That's pretty exciting. It is exciting because it's your first time going to be there. It is. And along with a whole bunch of other people, too. But even though, whether they're your first time or your second time or third time, you definitely want to come out because it's the last time we're going to do it in Melbourne. That's awesome. So you can still register. You can still register. Get in. There's also going to be myself, Damien, Brett, and along with Upper the Chat Girls, Marcus Pierce, Joe Witten, Kale Brock, Steph Loeb, the Mary Make Sister, and Tim Robards. So to register, can they save any money? Yes, they can. And I like saving money. Yes, so you can go shopping. Go shopping. There we go. (laughs) So to register and receive $100 off your ticket, go to thewellnesssummit.com and enter the code FIRSTSUMMIT16. That's FIRSTSUMMIT16. Go to thewellnesssummit.com. We'll see you there. Shopping. Thewellnesscouch.com streaming wellness into your lives welcome to a place of wellness and healing for both your body and mind get ready to live a happy healthy whole food life that totally rocks you're listening to shiny healthy you the straight talking natural health show for busy women with your host and naturopath jules galloway The Wellness Summit 2016 is just around the corner and if you're thinking of coming along, don't forget you can get $100 off your ticket by entering a simple code at the checkout. Enter the word SHINY SUMMIT 16 and that will get you $100 off. See you at the summit. Today's guest is a healthy eating and whole food trailblazer. She's a nutritional medicine practitioner, a health coach and a life coach. She's also someone I've admired for a very, very long time. She was out there creating recipes and blogging before pretty much everyone else, testing the waters and paving the way for the rest of us. Her recipes are to die for. Amazing comfort foods, nourishing one-pot wonders, colourful salads and epic desserts, which you know I'm a fan of. She's big into healing the gut, teaching her tribe to make kombucha and other fermented goodies. I've also been told she's got a pretty crazy sense of humor, so who knows where this interview is going to take us. Please welcome to Shiny Healthy You, the gorgeous Alice Nichols from The Whole Daily. Woo! Yay! Hi, Jules. Thank you so much for having me. You've put the pressure on now. I'm thinking... Can't do any dad jokes or mum jokes. Got to make them. Got to make them good. Uh, and have to no, dig deep. No, come on. Dad jokes are awesome. Come on. They don't are, hold they back. Are good. Don't hold back. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Thank you. That was a great intro. I loved that. I was like, this woman's awesome. Let's talk to her. <laughs> Let's do this. I'm listening. Right, I'll be listening game, to the podcast to see what she says. Game face on, lady. Game face on. <laughs> Getting right. serious. Yeah, serious. Serious hat on for a second. Let's um, do it. Because it's fair to say that you weren't always this healthy, yeah? No, definitely not. How, how much time do you have? <laughs> well, I heard you used to be a bit of a party girl and um, before you discovered this healthier way of living, things were pretty different. So, Yeah. So, you know, what's really interesting is that I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I didn't think at the time, but I had a desire. I just felt like there was something in health and well-being. So I somehow um kind of slid in sideways to a secondary teaching health sciences degree at Deakin when I was 17 because I was young for my year. And then by halfway through the year, I dropped out. So I'd moved from Phillip Island up to um, Burwood in Melbourne 
I was already partying pretty hard. I'd been drinking since I was 14 or 15 and, and definitely not doing it very well. Um, a little bit dissimilar to most kids who are kind of getting into the booze. I was, uh, I was going into blackout a lot, doing a lot of really stupid life-threatening things and, and really, um, you know, not, not, doing, not being healthy for myself, I suppose. But, so I couldn't focus on university that I'd, you know, squeaked into or scratched into because I was in the club all weekends. And I was living a life that felt really good when I was on the dance floor at 3 a.m. in the morning, but then would come crashing down, um, you know, on a Monday, on a Tuesday, and then Wednesday, Thursdays, Fridays, and so on and so forth. And I often talk to people about, I'm very open and honest about, um, you know, in my family and in my mum's family, which I suppose is my family, there's a lot of alcoholism, which I think is nature and it's, and it's nurture as well. There's some genetics involved within it. Uh, so I have a predisposition to alcoholism. Um, you know, I, I said to someone even recently, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. And I suppose that's simply because I have to classify myself as one because I cannot um, and have never been able to moderate my drinking as much. So um, I used to be able to go out and have a glass of wine over a pasta dinner at my favorite Italian and then stop there with with conscious effort Um but I've never been able to go to a party and say no. So I was always the one, um, I'd either be passed out early um, if it was just booze, but then I'd be the last one up if it was booze and drugs, but the booze was always there. So, you know, that conversation that I have with people who say, they always laugh and they're like, oh, you were 21 or you were 22 or you were 25 or you were 26 and everybody's doing it then because it kind of seems like everybody is. It, it It's not as obvious to you. It's not as obvious to them how detrimental it is to young um, young addicts' health, I suppose, because they're not seeing them on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday when they're also doing it on their own as well. So that was my life, pretty much. So I was a functioning alcoholic, I suppose, and I had a I had a fairly good career trajectory. So I was working my ass off, and I was hung over a hundred days out of every three hundred easily, I reckon, um, and just somehow pushing through, and it looked good to other people, but it was probably me working at about 20% of my capacity. And so it, um, yeah, definitely not, definitely not healthy behavior. Let me tell you that. Definitely not something I would prescribe to my clients right now. I know. It's amazing though, that sometimes if you look good on the surface, people just assume that there's nothing dodgy going on underneath all of that. Like, mm-hmm. And so you can be high-functioning alcoholic and you can, you know, go to work and do all the things. And as long as you throw on a bit of fake tan or makeup or do your hair or whatever, they just assume that everything's fine, don't they? They do. And I even had friends, I've had friends laugh at me, like people who uh, have seen me in really dangerous positions and seen me in my most unattractive state because I've seen video, like I've seen one video which I was like we can, <laughs> we need to burn all copies of that. Um <laughs> you know, one video of myself when I was really, really wasted. And I've, and I've said to, you know, friends, I have a problem, you know, we need, I need help. What am I going to do about this? And, and even they have been, it's very hard to connect with that. But I grew up in a household where my mum was, a, was um, an alcoholic. She still is, but she's been sober now for over 20 years, which is incredible. But so I'd seen it and I knew what the behavior was. And so for me, it was a real obvious battle with the disease, whereas to other people, they were looking at it, you know, the young blonde girl wearing suits and stilettos every day, going out, getting wasted. It, yeah, it's a really, it's a really precarious 
it's a really precarious situation and there's also a lot of stigma attached to it. Like for me to come out and say, oh, I'm an alcoholic, um, a lot of people have said to me, how nerve-wracking is that for you to say that? But it's, I don't know, I've kind of, maybe I've said it so many times it, it's no longer a thing with me anymore, but it's um, that's it's so who final, I am. isn't it? It's just such a final yes. nail in the coffin there to say it and have it out yeah. there. That's really interesting, Jules, and I think that's what it is. I think, and why so so many people are afraid of saying it because if it's the it's the um, what's the stages of grief or the stages of acceptance? Yeah, it's yeah. The denial, like so many people are in denial for so long. It can be about food. It could be about drugs. It could be about booze. It could be about bad relationships. It could be about body shaming yourself. I mean, it could be about so many things. But you go through those stages, and I think when you crack open enough to reach that stage of acceptance is where you have your biggest pocket of growth. Like you can only go up from there. Once you've accepted it, you need to find the healing and I think it gives you an opportunity. So maybe it's that it's um, that finality gives you the opportunity to live your best life after that. So, yeah, I'm definitely a lot healthier, healthier now than what I have been in the past, that's for sure. So how did that come about though? Like there must have been, I don't know whether you hit some sort of rock bottom or did the old hit rock bottom and then trap door to another rock bottom and then another or where was the turning point for you and was there a a specific turning point? I've tried to find it so many times in my story and there was no, like I think when a lot of people picture rock bottom, they picture like you could imagine if I was driving in a car drunk and I crashed into somebody else's car or worse, you know, like that could be a potential rock bottom where you go, oh my gosh, I could kill myself or somebody else. But I've been in situations like that and that was not my rock bottom. So it was actually a handful of things. And this is only what I've been able to, as I've looked back so many times and thought, what were the dots that all of a sudden came together? Um, So there was one conversation I had with my mother I may have been hungover at the time and I, I can't, I'm not really sure, but she was sitting, I remember where she was sitting in our old house. I remember looking at her and I remember her saying to me, are you having fun yet? Mm. And it was just, it was really interesting because I had been drunk since I was 15 pretty much and it was about 25 or 26 when she was saying that to me. So I'd been drunk for over a decade and but there wasn't a time in that decade where I had not been desperately trying to moderate like I can't even tell you what the battle was inside my head on a weekly basis like if you think about the things that you prioritize in your life or um, and then take away 80% of the space that you have to give to those priorities and instead put in its place an internal war into your mind where it's like oh I have a party this weekend I'm only going to have two drinks or as soon as I have four I'm going to it's a dance with the devil is all I can talk about it like. It's an internal battle that gets waged that was taking up all of my energy and had done for 10 years. And so when mum said, you know, are you having fun yet? I was like, well, mm-hmm. haven't been for over 10 years. Like there's been, don't get me wrong, and my friends have brought this up with me numerous times I think because at times they can feel triggered by the fact that I've quit drinking and they feel like we've all had so many incredible experiences as a friendship circle as friends. They don't want they don't want it to sound like or for me to feel like I haven't had an incredible experience in my friendship circle whilst we've been out doing the partying because I have, don't, you know, I have. There's been moments of that but it's after, it's when I tip over the edge that for me then it's not fun and also nobody else has had to wake up with my guilt and my shame and my blame and and my self-hatred. That's all been me so nobody else can kind of understand and experience that. And I've completely forgotten the question because I've just gotten lost. Oh, the, the dots getting together. So my mum said, are you having fun yet? 
Um, and then I was, I only had two big nights after my first daughter was born, Holly. So it would have been 2011 because she was born in 2010 in December. We had a wedding um, in about March. So I was breastfeeding. I hadn't taken Holly to the wedding, thank goodness. <laughs> They're very smart bride and groom they are that didn't let children into the hall. And um, I went out, got drunk, woke up the next morning. Like it wasn't even one of my worst nights. I didn't even go into blackout and it was only the second time I'd been drunk since she was born and I just went done. And it was no, there was no physical rock bottom. I just went, it was like a really incredible weight lifting off my shoulders because I'd said I was done so many times and I just knew it this time. I just knew it. But prior to that, had I had this incredible and lengthy, probably eight month, 10 month, maybe even one year um, beginning, uh, awakening to a more healthful connection, a more spiritual connection. I'd started rereading Eckhart Tolle's Power of The Power of Now. Um, I had begun reading Marianne Williamson's A Return to Love, which is my most gifted and thrown back at me book I've ever read <laughs> and experienced. Um, there were things that were coming into my life. It was a beautiful, big, there was a lot of dots and it just, yeah, it was easy in the moment, but it took me nearly 15 years to get to it in struggle. And then how did you get from that point to wanting to help others and, and, not only becoming a health coach, but now going out and getting all your nutrition qualifications formally. Yeah, cool. Um, there's a quote, I think it might be Margaret Mead, and I might need to get you to correct me at the end of in the show notes if I'm wrong. She said something um, like, I don't know if it's true unless I write it or if I don't write it, it's not true or something like that. I've just bastardized that. We'll find but, it later. <laughs> yeah. But the idea that I was on this healing journey and I began to use writing as almost a cathartic creative experience. And so I didn't know that blogging was a thing when I first started posting on a blog. I actually thought no one was reading it. Whereas now when I speak to women who are, co um, who are creating blogs, they start at wanting to be famous in 24 hours. So it's an incredibly different experience than what I had when I was just not knowing the potential. Um, so when I started writing, it was very much for me. And I was really surprised when people were engaging with posts about health and well-being. I'd also, um, I was sitting in my corporate office getting paid buckets of money and, you know, I just got back from a free trip to Vegas <laughs> And I was not really liking my life. I was pretty tired then and um, trying to keep up with the boys' culture type of thing, the party culture. And I signed up to do IIN and I loved that it awakened in me. It was the first time I'd slammed money down for my own personal growth. Like I've had my companies invest tens and tens of thousands of dollars in my sales and marketing Um you know, knowledge and experiences and courses and the amount of methodologies that I've learned is just, you know, huge. But I've never chosen to spend money on myself and it was about five grand and so I did that. That was an awakening and there were people in that course that just, you know, Anne-Marie Colburn who talk, talks about food and healing and, um, you know, at the time David Wolf kind of um, interested me. You know, there's definitely people that have overridden that interest now but so many different health practitioners who believed in different modalities and all of a sudden I was like wow this is incredible but I was lacking the science side of it I really wanted to be able to learn 
more personally for myself first about the science side. And so after I finished that and I was still blogging for about a year in between, I was just all of a sudden I just went, I want the bit of paper that I that I dropped out of twice because it ended up being twice I dropped out of that degree. And um, so I signed up to do it online to do the Advanced Diploma of Nutritional Medicine, which is the online equivalent of the, of the degree in, health, in um, nutritional medicine. So it's the same course, but they can't, they can't call it a bachelor legally because you are allowed to do some components of it online, whereas the exams and the um, clinic hours, so there's 200 clinic hours, all have to be done face-to-face. So it's, you can do the theory at home and then you can do the practical and exams in person so they know who you are. Um, it's a, been a really deeply confronting at times experience because I've had to do things that are really difficult like chemistry I've found incredibly oh, difficult oh my god biochem oh my god yeah so I did biochemistry and then <laughs> I'm having I'm having a yeah. cold sweat here just thinking about it <laughs> oh, it's, it's it was um I think that there's a lot of people out there that are talking about health and well-being I'm going to use myself as an example because what has bothered me about looking not bothered me but where I have grown I look I know that there's other people in these situations and it's probably where I'm less dogmatic now and more I feel like we need to be very careful about the way we approach health and well-being. I thought I knew so much because I was looking at this surface level of health and well-being online and it wasn't until I got down to our, if you think about it, right down to the cellular structure of the human body was where I went, okay, now I, I need to be a little bit less dogmatic because there is a much, it's a bigger world than we ever could imagine just reading um, articles about oil pulling or bone broth. But you know what? Even just saying that. <laughs> or just green saying smoothies that, for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I disagree with myself even as, even as I'm saying that because I realize I've gone off on a tangent here. But the reason that I'm di- disagreeing in a way with what I'm saying is that when it comes down to it, you know, I've done my first 50 hours in the clinic where I met with person after person or did the health the, and did case study after case study every single case or person presenting with a perceived problem their number one um the number one part of their whole lifestyle and nutrition that they needed to be able to commit to changing was actually stress and anxiety and giving themselves uh a break and some calmness and that's not a pill and that you don't need to know the body's cells to know that that's an issue in our society today. So it's, it's. I mean, I've just gone around in a big no, circle. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you there. With I knew you were going to say stress. I was like, please say stress, please yeah. say stress because I was yeah. thinking it. I was like, she's going to say it because it, yeah. it, but it manifests so differently in everyone doesn't it like so one person will have a digestive problem one person will have headaches and another person will have a hormonal imbalance but you dig deeper 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 and you can usually find that they all have that little center pin of stress in there somewhere yes busyness anxiety everything and it's I think 70% of chronic disease is stress related as well now which is just it's not improving because of the lifestyles we're creating for themselves. Actually, I had a woman in um, one of my Facebook groups this week and I love her and it was a great question because it gave me the chance to sit there. She said, you know, how do you, she was asking the group, how do you find balance? Where do you balance everything? And my first thought was women only ever ask me that question when they're already stressed and they're already anxious and they're already feeling like they're about to fall apart. And then I sat with it for a while and I realized that there is not a single person I know who has 
some type of dedicated, almost ritualistic self-care practice who asks the question about balance. They just in, intrinsically, they have, they have it. It's a yeah. really interesting thing. And, um, yeah, the people who are really worried about balance are already, they're already stressed and anxious and I know they don't have a dedicated self-care practice. I just know it. It's, yeah. it's obvious, you know. So you're saying that if they are asking the question, they don't have it. Yes, correct, 100%. Yep. Like, I mean, there's probably a few um, exceptions to the rule, but, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to call it. I'm going to say yep. that those people that are saying I'm really stressed and anxious and I want to know how to balance everything, they're not meditating or they're not journaling or they're not just sitting still for three minutes on a daily basis. You know, they're, they're not doing any of those things. Whatever it could be for them, I'm not going to go out and say that you have to meditate. It's a wonderful thing to do, but you might not do it. You might draw mandalas or you might um, create a pot of tea that you let steep for three minutes in front of you and then read three chapters of your favourite fiction genre. Like it could be something, but you're not doing that thing that's yours. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I know some people call it mindfulness and I know you're really big on on that concept. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about what mindfulness means for you? And, and what you personally do? Yeah, mindfulness is really huge for me because I'm an impatient type A um, uh, and previously really angry person, which, which pops up a little bit in my life now. Most people would be like, what? I've never seen that <laughs> side of you. Obviously not. I'm not out there punching people up on a daily basis. But um, I carried with me a lot of anger from my childhood, I think, and I... Um, have kind of I've covered it all up so you know first it was it was drugs and alcohol was my numbing agents and then all of a sudden I was sitting within myself and you have to become aware of yourself that's what we get so scared about I think and why women don't have so many self-care practices is because all of a sudden they're going to have to learn who they really are which can be quite quite petrifying um so mindfulness to me Gosh, it's changed. I used to have a mindfulness practice where I would sit there and I would think I am being mindful. And in the end, I began to realize that I was looking at it all wrong and that mindfulness can be me speaking to you, Jules, on this podcast now and just being present and trying to, you know, hear your questions and answer them in a way that um, honors me and is honest and, and transparent and honors you and your audience as well. And the question itself. So, it can be in any part of your life. You can be mindfully angry, though, in a way, I have to say. Um, for me, it's about being aware of whether my emotions are false or ego-created or being aware of and being aware of the truth to a situation um, and then having the mindful, re, mindful ability to take myself out of an egoic or a false emotion scenario and put myself into a truth scenario so that I can manage a situation to the best of my ability at the time because nobody's ever enlightened. We're all going to get angry <laughs> sitting in traffic sometimes. So <laughs> it gives me the tools to process situations um, in a way that's healthy for me and mindfulness is, it is, it's exactly that. It's knowing the truth versus false emotive states and for women especially, that's a really, really big thing because we project 
so much falsity into so many different parts of our lives and believe that it's somebody else or an external situation that is making us, and I'm going to use the term making us, feel how we feel and all it is is our is the person in our head telling us to feel that way. It's just so incredibly interesting. To me it seems so simple now but I've never found that way just yet of describing it in a way that comes across and people go, oh, yeah, totally, because most people go, that's bullshit. <laughs> that's just total bullshit, you know. He did. But he did make me angry. My husband did get home late or he didn't buy me a, a, a um, you know, roses for my birthday and I'll say, okay, so what's the truth of the situation? And they'll say, well, you know, when we get there, he didn't buy you roses. Okay, okay. So the anger, is anger the truth of the situation? And you finally get to, well, no, anger actually is just an emotion that you've decided to allow yourself to feel. So that's actually not the truth. And that's kind of the way that that I work with people on that. But it's just um, mindfulness for me. Yeah, it's just being able to live in each moment in a way that's as healthy as I can be in that moment, I suppose. It's ever-changing. Yeah, it's funny you should talk about anger in that way. I, I used to have a psychologist who she turned around the way that I thought about anger because she would say, look, you know, you're seeing it like it's a bad emotion. It's not a bad emotion. It's just, it's an emotion. And then, you know, if, if you were angry, she'd say, she, actually what she was doing was a kind of mindfulness because she'd say, okay, you're angry. All right. Where do you feel that in your body? What color is it? What shape is it? Where is it? You know, and so you'd have to actually stop and check in with your body. And that brought you back into the moment. And it was okay to feel the anger, but you just had to explore what that anger was physically doing to you as well. And, and to stop and not sort of just dismiss it as being a bad thing to feel and to, to try and like just brush over it or fight your way out of it. It's okay to feel angry. Yes, that is, you just did it. I mean, you just said it. That's exactly what mindfulness is. It's an awareness of your feelings and emotions. Last night we um, we had, you know, two nights ago my sister and her partner came over for dinner and Holly, this, this is going to make our family sound much more enlightened than we are, but Holly, who's five, decided she wanted to do a meditation with Pete um, and my sister Hayley um, and Ruby kept stealing the candle off her. And Holly said, I'm really frustrated, mummy. And I went, don't be frustrated. And then I went, oh, why am I telling her not to be frustrated if that's how she's feeling? Yeah. Why do we do that to children? We do, we do this. We try and beat out them connecting to their emotions out of them metaphorically. And I just went, no, you tell me about the frustration. You know, how does that, how does that feel? Because for her to say that at five and perhaps why is she not allowed to have that feeling? Why can she not connect to that and say, I'm aware of it, so then she can wave it off? We grow up as adults and the hardest thing for us to do is to let go um, and that's where that's where the stress can stem from. That's where the anger, you know, that's where all of these chronic diseases also stem from too. It's this incredible lifelong um, habit that we've gotten into of not allowing ourselves to feel what we need to be feeling to let those feelings be free and to go away so that we can actually lighten our body and our, our lives and our health. Do you subscribe to that theory that a lot of disease is a manifestation of, you know, emotional states and blocked emotions? Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Yes and no. So the reason I say yes is because 
Um, I, I have never had a personal experience with someone who's passed away or who has been, um, or who's been, I suppose, dying terminal around me who has either tried to or not tried to use mindset. So I can't, I can't honestly say what I 100% believe because I haven't been in that situation and I always err on the side of unless I've, you know, unless I've had personal experience, I can read everything and I can see the literature, but, you know, I'm, I'm very conscious of that. But me not saying yes doesn't mean that I don't believe it because my mother um, has chronic and debilitating rheumatoid arthritis, which she's had since she was 16. So her body is so crippled that at times she can't get out of bed in the mornings. She's also an ex, you know, a sober alcoholic, and she spent 50 years of her life telling herself she's unworthy and that she's in pain. Um, And it's been really interesting. We've been doing a lot more work together over the last only two weeks because she's finally reached a point, maybe her rock bottom, and I almost hope her rock bottom of pain and um, and sadness around her illness that we're trying to use, you know, diet and mindfulness to help bring her to a better state. And it's really interesting when I have conversations with her how difficult it is to change the verb, the, ber- the vernacular of somebody who's so used to going straight to the negative to something that's more positive and we are still not there. So, you know, we, she's been telling herself she's in pain. I'm in so much pain. I had such a night of pain. I hate this pain. You don't understand this pain um, for 50 years and she's in such incredible pain. Um, so, you know, have I seen the flip side of that? Not yet. So when I do then and do I believe yeah, I've got, you know, I've got to, I suppose. Um, I don't think that you can talk negatively to yourself and not experience a physical manifestation of that. And, in fact, it just brought to my mind the the water experiment that Dr. Mimoto did. I think that's his name. You Imoto. Might have Imoto, yeah. um, where he had, it's the water crystals experiment. You can find it on YouTube, actually. It's really, really incredibly interesting. And so he had two glasses of water or two vessels of water and to one of those glasses of water, um, I believe, was it music or was it simply talking? He, he had a few experiments from what I saw. Yeah. Uh, there was some where they wrote messages on the on the actual right. vessel and then there was one where they did music. There was one where they played like classical music to one vessel yes. and then they played heavy metal or something yeah. to the other. It was, it was death metal. It was like a slipknot type thing. And then they froze the glasses of water and the glasses which had kind, either classical music or let's say the kind words spoken or written um, to it, the crystals, the ice crystals in the water formed like beautiful intricate snowflakes and in the glass where it was either say Slipknot style death metal and horrible nasty words or whatever that case may have been, the ice crystals formed like angry jagged edges so I have to believe that um, you think yourself into whatever state you are in. Yes. Yeah. I realise that you ask me a question and I go through this, oh, my own <laughs> process of thinking as I'm talking it out with you, Jules. So, <laughs> no, that's fine by me. <laughs> you know what? I've, let's just say I've done the experiment on myself and I used to be chicken little when I was 21 and wondering 
looking at the sky going, why me after getting my fifth parking fine in a week and then going and getting totally spasticated when I'd parked my car there and I went and bought the bottle of booze. So um, when I was 27 and I got sober and life all of a sudden became this unlimited um, world of potential and limitless opportunities, I did have a different um, voice in my head saying, you can do it and you're amazing. And so, yeah, it matters. Yeah, absolutely. Like if if playing, you know, nice music or death metal can affect a glass of water, imagine like the way you talk to yourself. That's just, it's mind-blowing. It's really mind-blowing. And again, like going back to feeling anger and feeling emotions, I think as long as they don't get stuck, I think it's fine to feel that way. But if you judge yourself for feeling that way and go, I got angry at that person today, I'm a bad person. Like that's actually the thing that's going to impact you more than the anger event itself. It's the judgment around that anger event that's going to be the undoing. Yeah, that's really interesting because you you almost, I know a lot of people who do the work of say um, Eckhart Tolle, how he talks about, you know, be aware of what you're thinking in each moment Um, and he talks about um, my dog, I'm so sorry. He's scratching. He's he's trying to get the perfect <laughs> position on his bed right in front of my work desk, and he's scratching it up. So it sounds like I'm. I don't know what it sounds like, but he's it's nearly fine. got it. All right, he's just sunk into it. He's just found the perfect position. But Eckhart Tolle talks about being very aware that what's probably going to happen when you become aware of your emotions is exactly what you've just just described. You all of a sudden you go, oh, actually I'm angry. Wow. I'm enlightened now and I'm in the power of now because I'm aware that I'm angry. Oh, you're an idiot for feeling angry. And then all of a sudden the egoic thought comes over and takes over it. And in the end, what you've done is instead of being in the present moment, you're still sitting in that egoic, unconscious mind thought stream, which is exactly what you're trying to get away from in the first place. It's a really, it takes time. Like I, you know, I always say to people, I'm not enlightened. I don't know an enlightened person. And there's that other quote that I love, which is, um, you know, uh, walk with the people seeking truth, run from those who think they've found it because you just, <laughs> you're never there. I'll but, tell you what, living in Byron Bay, I've, I've come across some of the ones that you run from. <laughs> yes, you have to. You have to. Yeah. You yeah. have to. I said to Holly was in the car with me yesterday and she, you know, she's learning to read at the moment. I can't remember what she was speaking about. But I was talking about practice and focus and grit and determination. We've got some mottos in our house. Um, And I said, you know, what happens when you practice? And she said, oh, it makes perfect. And I said, well, nobody's really ever perfect. I said, you know, because imagine how boring the world would be if everybody thought they were perfect. They'd never learn anything new. It would be a horrible, horrible place. And we had that conversation then about, you know, what it would be like if if everybody knew everything. Um, It would be kind of boring. It would be so horrific. Like it would just be, I would not want to live in that world. You've got to keep learning and evolving, I think. Yeah, and if everyone was perfect, there'd be no imperfections to bond over as well. It's like, do you remember that song from like a little while back? It was like if everybody looked the same, we'd all get tired of looking at each other. Yes, yes. Was that Fat Boy Slim? No, I don't don't remember. everybody looked the same. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> we get tired of looking at each other. That's the one. Yeah. 
That's the one. And and it's true, like if, if everybody thought the same and if everyone was already perfect and we were all enlightened, um, there'd be no one left. <laughs> it would it would freak me out. I just I love being that imperfect soul. I love being I love getting up and going, what am I gonna learn today? What where am I going to what is going to be my teacher today? We had a really rough day with the kids on the weekend and I some days you just have them. And I grabbed Holly's face at about five o'clock and I smushed it and I said, oh, you're my spiritual assignment today, child. <laughs> because I was like, <laughs> you're trying to teach me something yeah. and it's, you know, I sunk to these levels of bloody hell, I want to like throw stuff at the walls, but you just got to go, what is this? Like, what Thank am I you, here teacher. For? Thank you, teacher. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Not the child, the teacher, of course. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it, love it, love it. Um, Alice, I could chat with you all day. Like, I think we have not even touched upon the food and I would love to get you back to talk about the food and the gut healing Yes. Oh my gosh, it's so important. We're just talking about mum actually and the work that we're doing with her. That's all about her gut because she's had um, she's had forty years on really heavy uh, medications, including methotrexate and um, and cortis- other cortisones and and non steroidal um, pills. It's it's her entire digestive tract is completely torn to shreds, and she's still. She's almost, you know, I've given her books to read, which she doesn't read. It's oh, never work with your own family. I've told no, her I would no. fire her. Yeah. <laughs> I said to her, if you were my client, I would have fired you so many times. And she says, if you were my nutritionist, I would have reported you <laughs> to the board. I'm like, oh. I had a lecturer that said in, in my final year, uh, I've got to try and remember the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of you can't treat your family. But no. you can experiment on them a little bit. Yeah. And you I mean it's for me, I've I've ended up in tears probably four times since I met my husband. Like he'll he sees it, I think, like a bit of a um the blip, like the the um the mountain range on a on a kind of a machine that goes like I'll go I'll ignore it and ignore it and ignore it, her problems and her her disease, the issues from it, knowing where it stems from. And then six months later I'll go I have to change this. I have to help her fix this, excuse me. And um, this time I just went, she's, you know, it's at the point where, um, you know, she's 60 years old and we might have to get a carer for her soon. Like this is, you know, my, my husband's mother is does Pilates four times a week. She looks like a bloody supermodel. She's like got her legs around the back of her head. Like it's just I've seen, I see the differences and, I can't, I can't, you know, I, you know, I, to you and to everybody listening, I suppose I have to say, I can't allow her to continue to go this way, but the reality is that it's not my choice. So I can only be that light. I've been showing up to her house every day with, um, free of, with fridge packs of food and just really just trying to lead her in the right direction. But yeah, it's a big, long conversation, which is all conversations with me, Jules. <laughs> this is your first experience with me on your podcast. You'll be like, well, maybe we should book four more. In, yeah. <laughs> we'll just have the Alice and Jules show. It'll just go for hours. That can be our, our spin off. <laughs> yeah, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> what else can we talk about? Cycling husbands, uh, <laughs> dogs. Yeah. West Wim, oh. tall techno. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, 
I will let you go, but not before a couple of things. The first thing I want to know is so that people listening to this for the last little while, if they are feeling a little bit overwhelmed and just go, oh, shit, where do I start? This all sounds like a lot of stuff. Yep. Um, what's the one thing they could do right now to move themselves forward in the right direction if they're just starting out? This is going to be my shortest answer for the day, but I'm going to put a tiny little bit of colour around it because most people will hear my answer and go, oh, whatever, like I heard that before. I used to try and fix everybody with everything and I used to say here's the list of 10 things that you need to do to change your life Um, and the answer that I'm actually going to give is one towards that I mentioned towards the start of this podcast. If you are struggling with what feels like huge issues, so whether it's stress or anxiety or entire body breakdown of health, then the only thing I'm asking you to do today and to do each day is to carve out three minutes If you can do that, and I I mean, believe me, you're going to go, that's not even enough. It will grow like, but don't, don't place yourself out of the running by saying you're going to meditate for an hour every day for, you know, four months in a row. Please just carve out three minutes to find that space on a daily basis. And the flow on effect is going to hit you eventually. And something else will be ignited and cracked open and something will become really clear to you when you do that. So Three minutes a day is all I'm asking to sit by yourself with yourself and do something that's a self-care practice. That's yep. it. We can all do that. We can. Everyone can do that. We can all find three minutes. Ooh. Yeah, that's Absolutely. awesome. And that's so. That's anyone can start that tomorrow. So yeah, that that's that's uh, that's the task for this week. Go find three minutes. Three love minutes. It. Love it, Alice. It's been awesome. Ooh. I love you. Where Thank can people you for allowing me to go on my whirly bird? Oh. My, my whirling dervish of <laughs> any time absolutely any time I'm happy to go along for the whirling ride it's awesome um, now you've got some awesome ebooks and an e-course and a couple of websites so um, where can people find you I'm only going to say one just um, because if you find me and you like me then you can hunt me out I'm sure but my go and uh, find me on all social media at the whole daily or on my website, thewholedaily.com.au, and links back to everywhere else I am will be there also. And I'll throw some awesome links in the show notes too. You're amazing. See if we can dig up some of those quotes and pretty them up a little bit, Dal. Congratulations (laughs) on your um, podcast as well. Thank you. It's so much fun. No one said it would be this much fun. (laughs) Talk to people's awesome. I probably need to do a few more so that then I can get beat, beat out the succinct answers out of myself. Uh, we like unsucinct here. It's more real. It'll be on the Jules and Alice show, unsucinct. We can call it unsucinct. Woo, it's going to happen. <laughs> Thank you so much, darling. I appreciate it. Thank you too. It's been awesome. Bye I'll speak now. to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Wow, so much love and respect going out to Alice Nichols right now. What a strong and inspiring lady. I just love that interview, so I hope you did too. If you're new around here and you do like what you've heard, please make sure you hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode because I've got some really good ones coming up for you. Also, if you'd like a free whole food recipe ebook with some really easy to make recipes that are gluten, dairy and sugar free, head to julesgalloway.com and look for shiny health whole foods it's just there on the right hand side now next week i've got a really fun interview lined up i can't wait to share this one with you so i'll see you back here next week in the meantime stay shiny and bye for now 
This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.